1: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, it's been a few weeks. Uh, We have gotten a lot of things that have come up here uh you ready to catch up on some of the news and notes and happenings around the acc
0: let's do that i got good news for you though joey i do not have the coronavirus yet
1: that is that is good news um as a recent survivor of it um
0: oh recent survivor
1: i i told you like a month ago i had it yeah it was uh you know i don't know it's fine
0: but it's serious.
1: Yeah, it's serious. Um, have you have you yet bought all the toilet paper in like Washington D.C.?
0: I can wipe my ass for as long as is needed to okay, kind of wait this thing out. Good. So. Yeah, or I
1: good was. Shit. We we record this on uh, the evening of Tuesday, March the tenth, and I was at the grocery store this afternoon, and there were multiple carts that were loaded down with like four or five of the largest packs of toilet paper I've ever seen in my life, and I I, I was jealous. I felt intimidated. Um, I, I felt like these people were really trying to show me up. So, um, I, am proud of you though. If you, if you've bought up all the toilet paper in the area,
0: I have, I'm now prepared for the inevitable hurricane that strikes like five years from now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that is soon to be uh, legal tender in the area. I'd imagine is rolls of toilet paper. So right. you're now a rich man. That's, that's good. Yep. Uh, we do have some news and notes to catch up on, and I think what we're going to start with is actually not really news and notes, but it's going to be the, the topic that we either f- promised or um, we foreshadowed or perhaps even just threatened on our most recent podcast. Threaten uh, is a good word for it, yeah, I think. I, I think so, too. Uh, it'll, it'll did you know. <laughs> uh, Mike, we've got to talk some XFL. It is that time. Oh, okay. It's the most wonderful time of the year. It is XFL season here uh, in in the United States. And we want to go through, and we have worked through all the different rosters of all the different teams currently playing in the XFL. There are eight teams. um, And there are a total of, let me pull my spreadsheet back up. There are 38 players on XFL rosters right now that were from ACC teams. And so what we're going to do here is, We're going to go through each of the the teams and their rosters, and so if you are trying to figure out an XFL team that you want to cheer for, we're going to go through and tell you which players from which ACC teams are on each XFL team, and so that way we can help the people make up their mind of which XFL team they support, assuming that they are not in one of the eight major boroughs where these teams reside. Is that fair?
0: I think that's fair. It'll be easy for you and I, but not so easy for others, shall we?
1: Yes, yes. People got to really like have their allegiances tested here. Um, so we-, we will see where this goes. So team number one, and we're going to do this in alphabetical order based on team or uh, city where the team is located. Yep. Team number one, the Dallas Renegades. Mike, do you know how many ACC alumni are on the Dallas Renegades?
0: Without having it in front of me.
1: Without having it in front of you. just Just a... A wild guess. Four. Under. Two. Under. There's one.
0: There is one. <laughs>
1: there is one. Uh, Pittsburgh linebacker James Fulston on the Dallas oh. Renegades.
0: Oh, very good.
1: Yeah. So that explains their, their early season success here, I think, is uh, the, the power of Pitt. Uh, Pitt is it, after all, Joey. Pitt is it. That is that is correct. I, I, can't, uh, I can't deny that as a fact at all. So... Uh, James Folston, if, if he was your favorite player, if you're a Pitt fan, uh, yeah, you're, you're a Renegades fan. That's it. That's all. Boy, oh boy. Are you in luck? Go Dallas. They're playing in what used to be the Rangers stadium, but the Rangers have since vacated it to start a new ballpark here in a few weeks and it's going great for Dallas. I promise. Uh, yeah, we can call it that. Mike from your little neck of the woods here the DC defenders have you been to any defenders games I
0: have not but my friends have been have and you... apparently it's a good time home of the beer snake
1: Oh hell yeah the beer snake is is a legend on XFL Twitter which I'm a proud member of I suppose
0: <laughs> yes there there is a faction of <laughs> of the Twitter uh, Twitter spear we'll call it that's dedicated totally to the XFL. Joey, I would like to say I am also a part of it, and Absolutely. boy, oh boy, it is.
1: Now wow. I would say of of all the teams that we're going to go over, this might be the most diverse. There's a little something for everybody on the DC Defenders. But by the way, Mike, where do they play out of? Do they play out of FedEx Field?
0: They do not. So they play out of Audi Field, A U D I, like the car.
1: Is that where the DC uh, D.C. United? United, that's the one. The soccer team. There it is. is
0: yeah. So it's a it's a new stadium about two or three years old now um the newest stadium in the area though and yep they play out there
1: okay good deal good deal
0: my buddy runs the uh he's the beverage director for the stadium oh wow that's very random but yes
1: that's a uh, premium position there Yeah, it... friends in high places mike <laughs>
0: i i do i do so if i ever want to make a beer snake all for myself i gotta die
1: <laughs> there, there you go okay so several players here for the defenders we have, let's count them, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Starting with Louisville wide receiver Eli Rogers, North Carolina defensive back Desmond Lawrence, Syracuse safety Shamarco Thomas, Pittsburgh offensive guard Dorian Johnson, Georgia Tech outside linebacker Kashun Freeman, Clemson defensive end Tavares Barnes, Syracuse defensive tackle Jay Bromley. So Syracuse has two players, but then we've got guys from Louisville, North Carolina, Pittsburgh, Georgia Tech, and Clemson.
0: And that's before you even talk about the star power like Scooby Wright, former linebacker from Arizona. I know mm-hmm. we're just talking about like ACC players, but there's actually like some considerable talent, yeah. uh, college talent on this roster. Not not like hot girls talent, just college <laughs> talent, football. Um, Cardell Jones, which that went well for a minute because now Tyree, Tyree Jackson Gage's quarterback. Yeah, <laughs> 12. <laughs> yeah, 12 gauge couldn't complete a 15 yard out route. So now Tyree Jackson is playing quarterback most games. Uh, which
1: is a sight to see in and of itself
0: it is all six foot seven of him so
1: yeah he's that's huge such, that's he is huge if you were a logan thomas fan back in the day for virginia tech this guy is up your alley oh
0: yeah oh yes he is if you're into converted tight ends <laughs> i have a team for you
1: <laughs> playing quarterback <laughs> playing quarterback yes hell yeah this is oh, so metal i love the xfl All right, my Houston Roughnecks, Mike. Uh, The Necks, as they're lovingly known around here. Uh, We have six ACC players here, uh, mostly from schools, like as far away from Houston as we can get about. The Necks, maybe. Probably the star player of the bunch, and one of the star players of the league, former Virginia Tech wide receiver Cam Phillips, who has like eight or nine touchdown receptions, which I think is more than any other team has touchdown passes at all in the league.
0: He's officially up to nine,
1: Joey. It's going great. It's going great. He's really good. He is uh, really thriving in this position, uh, along with uh, former Temple quarterback P.J. Walker. So they're a fun group to watch. P.J. Walker got compared to Patrick Mahomes, which is obscene and really only happened because he had a, like a sidearm touchdown pass. And that was it. <laughs> that that was it. But literally it. That's literally the extent of the comparison. They're like, did you see this Patrick Mahomes-esque throw he made? Uh, okay, but... Let's let's calm down for a minute.
0: Uh, He's also not Patrick Mahomes, it turns out.
1: Yeah, because basically nobody is except for, you know, Pat Mahomes.
0: Right, correct.
1: Miami running back Marquez Williams, uh, Boston College linebacker Ty Schwab, and running back Andre Williams, we remember him, uh, Virginia Tech long snapper Colton Taylor, and Clemson defensive end Corey Crawford. So... A, a good little smattering of talent. A, a running back that's very familiar. I'm surprised to find out that Andre Williams didn't survive any longer than the NFL than he did. But hey, he's still playing pro football. He is for better or worse. Worth your money. Uh, we move on, Mike, to the Los. And um, by the way, the uh, Houston Roughnecks playing at the U of H football stadium, uh, TD ECU Stadium, or TDECU as it's known around here. So, um,
0: are they scoring? Are they scoring more touchdowns than Dana Holgerson's bunch?
1: Uh, yeah, actually, probably <laughs> that's, yeah, <laughs> that's been a, uh, a real trying thing here lately, but, uh, I believe it Houston five and zero. So that's, that's been kind of a little fun, uh, locally. So that's, that's good. They can ball. Yeah. Uh, the Los Angeles wildcats and Mike, I'm going to be just super honest with you. I have I, I say, I have no idea where they play. I'm confident this is another soccer s- stadium situation, uh, they play with at yep. Dignity Health Sports Park, also home to the LA Galaxy of the MLS. So that's probably wiser oh, yeah. than the Coliseum or whatever other massive cathedral stadiums they've got in Los Angeles.
0: I say I'm sensing a theme here. Yeah.
1: Now, if you're from Tobacco Road, this might be your team. And. Ignore the first one, because the first one is former Florida State wide receiver Kermit Whitfield, who he was really good, really fun. But the next three players, the total of four that the Wildcats have from the ACC, NC State cornerback Mike Stevens, NC State safety Jack Tocho, and North Carolina running back Elijah Hood. Give him the damn ball. Elijah Hood,
0: give him the football. Give him the damn
1: ball, Larry.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, still mad at you, Larry. Give him the football.
1: Larry Fedora, for those who are newer to the show.
0: You've had two jobs since then.
1: He's a ball player. Absolute ball player. Um,
0: God, couldn't stick in the NFL, huh?
1: I don't... I don't know. The whole running back position thing is is a whole thing. I, I don't get it. Correct. That's that's correct. It yeah. that is indeed a whole thing. Um, I I need to look something up real quick. Hold on. Yeah, okay. That's what I thought. Um, there's a name coming up here on the New York Guardians, and they have five players from the ACC very well scattered around. Um, so this is another good potential, like dartboard of a team that you could hit. Uh, first off, former Miami punter, Justin Vogel, uh, former North Carolina quarterback, Marquise Williams. And then I have like ill Colburn. I think this is Matt Colburn, the second running back out of wake forest, uh, Ian Silverman, former center out of Boston college and TJ Barnes, the defensive tackle out of Georgia tech, uh, so the Guardians again a good little smattering of some ACC talent here,
0: not too bad, not too bad.
1: Yeah, I mean Marquise Williams was good enough to beat out Mitch Trubisky for the starting job for multiple years in a row, and Matt Colburn was pretty good at Wake Forest, and TJ Barnes is like 6, 7, 330, and he's vegan. So, oh, okay, well that's something. Yeah, uh,
0: all I can all I, the first memory comes to mind Marquise Williams was the South Carolina opener. Uh, the year UNC went to the ACC championship. And UNC could have easily, easily been a New Year's Six if they didn't throw, what was it, three or four interceptions in the red zone?
1: I was trying to remember if I needed a second hand to count how many, like, end zone turnovers they had in that game. Because, yep. yeah, I mean, they were really good that year. And there was just this completely inexplicable loss to a South Carolina team that might not have made a bowl game. But for... Just rampant end zone turnovers by Marquise Williams. So that was not a positive memory. But he was really good for the most part, otherwise.
0: Yeah, he could ball, man.
1: Yeah, not not just anybody could uh, keep Mitchell Trubisky out of the out of the starting spot.
0: That's right. And now, ironically, Marquise Williams is playing in the XFL, and Trubisky is grasping on to his starting job in Chicago for dear life.
1: I've no further comment. Okay. I don't wow. I don't, I don't know cool. who could have possibly seen this coming. I was going to say it's almost like we predicted this happening. Uh, yeah, it's weird. It does seem that way. It does seem weird. that way.
0: Turns out that Trubisky is not as good as Deshaun Watson. Who would have thought?
1: Yeah. Strange. sorry I'm Do my little uh, Kermit sipping my tea thing here real quick. Yeah. Sorry.
0: Yeah. Strange how that works.
1: The St. Louis Battlehawks, Mike, uh and by the way, the Guardians—I don't know where the hell they play. Uh, is it the Meadowlands? Uh I feel like we, we we did this for like the first two teams, and I feel like now we're bought in. Like we really got it. yeah, it's at MetLife, MetLife Stadium in, in East Rutherford.
0: There aren't that many places to play up that way. So. Really not.
1: <laughs> There's only so many places. Uh, the St. Louis Battlehawks playing in what used to be the Edward Jones Dome and is now like the Stadium of the Americas or something or other. Um, also this is the team with like by far the coolest nickname, uh, the dome at America's center in St. Louis. There are only two former ACC players on this team. Uh, it is Dwayne Hendricks, former defensive lineman at Pittsburgh and Roderick Hoskins, linebacker from Florida state. Hmm. Yeah. Low key, like this is maybe the biggest uh, fan base of the entire XFL, which makes sense because this is a team that. A city that had uh, had an NFL team and then had it stripped from them, and there was a great sense of loss and all that. So now they have a football team again, and those people <laughs> a great sense of loss. Yeah, well, they're having to open up the upper deck at the dome so they can sell enough tickets, you know, get people in there. Like it's there's some uh, there's some XFL fever in St. Louis going on right now. There is,
0: there is. It's a uh, it's a whole thing.
1: Mm-hmm. It's a whole thing. Sure um,
0: yeah, yeah. Interesting, interesting. They have Jordan Taamu playing quarterback.
1: They do. That's that's a fun time.
0: Marquette King, who was like a legitimately good punter in the NFL, is now relegated to the XFL.
1: Hold on, it's it's Jordan Taamu and, oh gosh, let me look this up real quick. Uh, it's Jordan Taamu and uh, Nick Fitzgerald. Yep. So it's former Ole Miss quarterback and former Mississippi State quarterback playing <laughs> playing quarterback. Battling it out. Give me a uh, give me a webcam like in the quarterback room of their practice facility because that's got to be fun to watch.
0: Yeah, and Marquette King with his secretly good arm mm-hmm. as the emergency quarterback,
1: swaggiest punter in football history. I don't know how how many how many punters out there are better than Marquette King, and why is he not still in the NFL?
0: Right. So I have the same thought. Um, it's not like he would be commanding too much money, would he?
1: That, so that's much a pretty, That's a pretty ballsy place for a punter to be is commanding a whole bunch of money like, money like that. I mean, yeah, period. So, yeah, I don't know where that came from, but
0: yeah. Marquette King's car is probably more than his salary in the XFL.
1: <laughs> that's probably true. Yep. probably true. Uh, the Seattle Dragons, Mike, and I'm just going to assume that they play, I would say where the Sounders do, but I'm pretty sure the Sounders also play where... The uh, the Seahawks play there at what is it uh, the link. Century, Century Link Field? Yeah,
0: that the is link, correct. Maybe. They do,
1: they do play at the link there in oh Seattle. Oh my God,
0: B.J. Daniels playing quarterback for Seattle. Man,
1: mm-hmm. that's a blast from the past. Yeah. I know he's still oh, playing football.
0: God, um, <laughs> yeah, he's still playing quarterback.
1: Only five ACC players here, but this is another kind of dartboard situation. Of uh, we we cover a lot of ground here. Uh, former North Carolina wide receiver, Austin Prohl. Former NC State's cornerback, uh, Jonathan Alston. Former Syracuse safety, Jordan Martin. Former Miami defensive tackle, Anthony Moten. And former Clemson offensive tackle, Isaiah Battle. So, lots of uh, lots of options that might make you a Seattle Dragons fan.
0: <laughs> that's one way to put it.
1: Uh, you know, that's... We're just trying to promote the league here, Mike. And I promise we are not getting paid for this, that's for sure
0: yep uh so Joey real quick mm-hmm. wait I think we went through all the teams didn't we or do we have more left we got
1: one more the Tampa Bay all right,
0: Vipers one more. all right let's let's do that first and then I have one thing I want to bring up
1: all right Tampa Bay Vipers and this one is a a real like local favorites kind of team uh we have eight former players and one two three four four of them yes four of the eight players are from Florida State and Miami Uh, Former Florida State cornerback Tavares McFadden, former Miami cornerback Herb Waters, former Florida State running back Jacquez Patrick, former Wake Forest defensive tackle Nikita Whitlock, former Florida State linebacker Reggie Northrup, former Louisville defensive end Deontre's Mount, uh, former Wake Forest defensive lineman Josh Banks, and former Virginia Tech defensive tackle Ricky Walker. So if you're a Florida State fan, this is probably your favorite team, which... I probably didn't have to tell you if uh, if you're a Florida State fan and you're looking for a team to cheer for, it's probably going to be Tampa Bay to yep. begin with.
0: Yes, that's correct. So from the state of Florida, congratulations. We found you an XFL team.
1: Mm-hmm. This is all very shocking.
0: It is. Um, I have one more point that I just realized I didn't make during the the rundown of the LA Wildcats roster. Oh, dear. We have a quarterback on the roster, Joey. Uh, he did not graduate from an ACC school. But he was a big part of our conversations regarding NC State for a while. Oh, Do you dear. know who that quarterback is?
1: Ooh, this is a good question. Uh, it's not, not Ryan Finley, is it?
0: It is not. But it was Ryan Finley's backup.
1: It's not uh, Russell Wilson.
0: It is <laughs> Jalen McClendon. Ooh, really? Yep. Where did he graduate yep. from college? Baylor. Really, I. Where he, did where he, play he could not beat out Michael Brewer? He did, and he could not beat out Michael Brewer's younger brother, Charlie Brewer.
1: What? He, he, what? Yep. What? Yep. And somebody's yep. paying him to play quarterback now? Yep. Huh. He's six four, man. He's got to be good. There's that. Yeah, you can't forget about that part. Huh. This is that's weird. Yeah, he played, what, like one year at Baylor. He was a, a grad transfer, so maybe technically did. Yeah, he technically graduated from NC State. Uh, appeared in nine games in 2018, making one start. Was 3-for-12 for 71 yards at Iowa State. Oh, yeah. Uh, Made his first collegiate start November 3rd against Oklahoma State. It was 10-for-17 for 102 yards and an interception. Hmm interesting i mean get get that bag man like go go get paid if if uh if you can but i'm just i'm surprised somebody's paying you that's all it is no no offense
0: right yeah i'm surprised too but anyway need to bring that up because he found himself a home joey
1: jalen mcclendon hmm that that is certainly a name i have not heard in a minute but that's it. That's all I got. I don't know yeah, what else that's... to do with that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, yeah, anyways. It was so that was a rundown of the 38 ACC players and which XFL teams that they are associated with. By the way, the Tampa Bay Viper is playing at Raymond James stadium with the big old pirate ship there. So um, if you're, if you're a pirate fan, you know, maybe that's your team. I don't know. Uh, so Mike, that being said, who is uh, who's your favorite XFL team?
0: The D.C. Defenders, Joey.
1: Nice. Good. Good. It is.
0: Uh, with my second favorite team being the Houston Roughnecks because Cam Phillips, helps, maybe. Yes.
1: Yeah. And and long snapper Colton Taylor. Everybody's well, favorite yeah, long I mean, snapper. I, I do like Colton Taylor.
0: Um, <laughs> maybe not quite as much as Cam Phillips. So to Colton Taylor's family, if you're listening to this, nothing against your son. Just, you know. <laughs> or brother, or whatever he is, but yeah,
1: just Cam Phelps. just just your second favorite player on the uh, on the Knicks, as it were. And Mike, you don't. By the way, you don't even ask me. Have to ask me. I am a uh, I'm a lifelong Nex fan. To the Knicks, baby. I think we've made that very clear by now.
0: Yes, I don't think you have a choice.
1: So hopefully that uh, that fulfills our public service of helping the people pick an XFL team that they want to cheer for. Uh, go ACC to all 38 former ACC players on XFL rosters right now?
0: Yes, that is correct.
1: And I will say one thing, and I think we mentioned this on on the previous episode, but one last thing that I'm going to drop in here to kind of fulfill this discussion. And first of all, we are being completely and totally serious here. We are not being paid for any of this. Like there is no sponsorship in place from the XFL. You're not hearing a live ad read or anything like that. The other thing I will say is that this is like legitimately interesting cool football to watch. I think if you haven't had a chance to watch it, they, so first of all, the TV package is great. They're on ABC, ESPN, Fox, and Fox Sports One. So it's very accessible to anybody that has any sort of basic cable package. And it's there's some different rules involved and there's some different things that they do on the you know from a production value standpoint that I think make it very interesting and fun to watch. So I, I would recommend if you haven't seen an XFL game yet, Watch one. They, they play a couple of games Saturday afternoons, a couple games Sunday afternoons. Check it out. I think it's fun and it's good to kind of help bridge the gap between real football and real football, we'll say.
0: Yes, it's not college football. It's not the NFL. It's somewhere in between. And yeah,
1: whoo, yeah. The, the best way I've seen it put is it's a lot more like pro-college football than it is college pro-football.
0: yes
1: just there's something there's something visually about it that resembles college football i would say
0: there's an entertainment value to it with the gambling etc that they're trying to involve in it the interaction between players and coaches and fans watching at home that i think is unique and let's be honest when you have a league that's kind of trying to To establish themselves that's separate from college football, separate from the NFL, and you're having this kind of semi-pro separate league going on. This is kind of the things you need to have it sustain viewership and sustain some some sort of success to keep the league on its feet and keep it going. Mm -hmm. So I think they're doing the right kinds of stuff. I don't know how long it'll last, but I, I mean, I've watched it. I've been interested in it. It's something else to watch besides college basketball. And sa- I'm a huge college basketball guy, Joey, but mm-hmm. it's something else to watch on a Saturday afternoon, on a Sunday afternoon when college basketball is on. You know, you can dual screen it. Just, you don't need to pay a lot of attention to it, but it's something to watch.
1: Yeah. Oh, completely, completely. Um, yeah. And and I, one of the things, The last thing, I'm curious to see what, if anything, that there is, there's some, there's some kind of innovative stuff in here, both again, from a a football rules standpoint, as well as from a broadcast standpoint that I'm really curious to watch and see if the NFL adopts any of it. I, I think they would be smart to with a couple things. I mean, there's from a rule standpoint, there's different options on the uh, conversions. The kickoffs look pretty different. The overtime strategy is very different. You know, there's, there's some differences there. And then from a, a broadcast standpoint, there's a lot of access to the officials as well as to players on the sidelines. Uh, there's inclusion of the gambling stuff, like you mentioned. There's it's just it is very different and unique. And I have to think that there's going to be something, if there will be at least something from all of this that ends up getting absorbed and and uh, included in the NFL and its broadcasts. So yeah, curious to see what that is. Agree. Anyways. Okay, Mike. That uh, concludes the uh, XFL threat that we made to our listeners. So, uh, from here, we do have some uh, actually newsworthy things we need to hit on. And first and foremost, we have some uh, we have some NCAA violations. Mike, sound the alarms. Ah, weu How
0: How's that? How'd it do?
1: You no, know, that was good. That was good. People are alert. Um, we have NCAA violations for the Pittsburgh Panthers. Pitt is not it, it Pitt, turns out. Yeah, not it with the NCAA. Um, bad boys, bad boys, what you going to do? Uh, the NCAA has made Pitt aware of some allegations of violations that uh, this came about a few weeks ago. This was like right after we released our last episode, I think. Uh, Pitt made aware of the following violations. According to the agreement, the head football coach instructed or was present. At the practice facility, when three former quality control staff members perform coaching duties, resulting in the program exceeding the allowable number of permissible coaches. Too, cheaters. Many, too many coaches at practice for Pitt. That is cheaters. Inexplicable. Yeah, I want the record books erased. Uh, yeah, this is cheating. Cheating. Ah, the horror. Yeah. The horror. The university conducted adequate spot checks of the program, but the agreement said the violations were undetected in part due to the program's practice of playing music to indicate when outside parties were present at the practice facility. This is when that whole, like, you know, F the police song comes on at practice. Like, that's when you know. Yes. That's when you know the authorities are coming in.
0: Yes, this is Pitt's version of an elaborate scheme of bells and whistles.
1: That's right, that's right. Just so that they could make sure they get a couple extra coaches in at practice, like a bunch of bandits.
0: Those rat bastards.
1: (laughs) The university football coach and enforcement staff agreed that the football coach did not promote an atmosphere for compliance when he asked one individual to assist and was present when three others performed coaching activities. Additionally, the agreement said that the football coach did not monitor his staff when he did not prevent the violations from occurring. This is egregious, unacceptable, and I cannot imagine how Pitt will move forward from such uh, wild allegations of rampant cheating within their program. Mike, your thoughts.
0: Oh, man.
1: They are cheaters, Joey. Wow. Just cheating. Baffled.
0: Jaw to the floor. I couldn't believe it.
1: Only allowed, like, nine to, like, ten coaches at practice, and they had 13. Can you believe it? Show cause for everybody. This is, yeah, absolutely. Death penalty. Yeah. Um, maybe just, like, have to eliminate football altogether. Yeah. Or,
0: you know, make, make Pitt play an extra game so that fans will have to shield their eyes even more.
1: I wonder how much money the NCAA spent investigating this
0: uh way too much money what a (laughs) waste this is like oh man i felt like this was a punishment just reading the violations
1: i I was gonna say i was a little bit embarrassed just like that i spent the time to read this article
0: (laughs) and that we're even talking about it this is unbelievable i mean we have to talk about it but it's like unbelievably dumb that the ncaa is like i mean i get that you know you got to police stuff and you can't let things get out of hand this is the equivalent of like speeding a little bit in a school zone like going 28 a 25 or something mm-hmm. and the cop's like oh my god you went over the speed limit i have to give you something and they like Period. arrest
1: you and give you like a, a press conference to say look at this criminal we took off the streets basically yes kind of yes. yes yeah
0: and then he's in jail for 40 years yeah for going 28 a 25 yeah, yeah this okay. is uh this is dumb i mean like there's not really a ton of punishment that's like going to materially affect Pitt, but it's pretty funny because at the same time i feel like they over punish them for for what this was, yeah, um, whole thing's dumb
1: to some degree. And then on, on another level, like the punishment also looks like it was a little bit of a a, a dog and pony show of like. So let, let's read out the punishments here. So the uh, the penalties that were uh, in, uh, put in place, the head football coach agreed to a level two standard penalties, which included three years of probation, a five thousand dollar fine, plus half a percent of the football budget. And by the way, there's there's a bunch of basketball stuff that goes along with this as well. And we're not going to get into that because this is a football podcast on the Basketball Conference podcast. Yes. Uh, a show cause order for the head football coach withholding him from two days of team practices in August of 2020. He also did not participate in one week of off-campus recruiting during the December 1st through February 1st contact period, meaning either A, he was punished by having to spend December through January in Pittsburgh or he was punished by having being banished to like the beach for a week.
0: Yeah, I'll take that punishment yeah, any sounds, day.
1: Sounds awful. Uh, let's see. A there was I think there's one or two th- other things. Uh, a reduction of countable athletically related activities for the football program by 8 hours and the number of countable coaches by 1 For two days of practice during the 2018 football season? Maybe call it 2020. That seems like a typo. Uh, That seems like a typo. A reduction in the number of football countable coaches by one for four days of practice in the 2019-20 academic year. Oh, man. Two football quality control staff members must be removed from practice for three days during the 2019-20 academic year. So, again, this is like one of those things where like they like trying to like raise a billboard in front of everybody say, hey, look what we did. Like we we enforced order and, uh, you know, we rectified violations when everyone's just like this. This is just kind of embarrassing for everybody involved. And there's no apology needed. Like if you're Pittsburgh, just go ahead and appeal this. Like, what right. what's the worst is going to happen? <laughs>
0: What oh man, you have to uh pay the fine for the speeding in the school zone. Like come,
1: come and get me, coppers. Like
0: Yeah, yeah, come get me. You're right, they should appeal. What's the worst that's gonna happen? They have to carry out that penalty? Bummer. Yeah. Like
1: This is yeah. dumb, this is nothing, and Yeah I again it happened and that's kind of a shame in and of itself. The the yeah. the, the investigation and the punishment is what I'm saying
0: imagine having to write up the report for that it's like wow there's like 48 to 72 hours i will never get back
1: i mean imagine if there was like a like a wiretap on like remote cameras at a clemson practice what are the odds mike that you think that 3 of their 65 you know analysts and support staff get involved helping to coach players at one of their practices
0: I guarantee you that Clemson is cheating too.
1: Absolutely. And nobody gives a damn. <laughs> Nor should they.
0: Oh, by the way, so is Virginia Tech. Yeah. So is Georgia Tech. Oh, yeah. So is Louisville. Uh-huh. So is Florida State. Yeah. So is Miami. Like yeah. this is this is not a real crime. Yeah. And this is one that's I, I guarantee you that some teams probably don't even know about. Yeah. Right? Like they got compliance people and all this other stuff. This is something that is so off the cuff and like not noticeable on the surface mm-hmm. that I guarantee you multiple teams are violating this and they have no idea that they're doing anything wrong
1: yeah no I, th- I think you're completely correct that this is like this is like low level speeding this isn't going 90 in a 40 this is going 40 in a like a 35 or maybe even a 30 which yes no I'm gonna go 35 yeah <laughs> Yes. 40 to 30s you know we could have a discussion about but this is not this is nothing. Yeah. So any anybody at this point any college football team worth its salt that's going to have you know analysts and some support staff you got to know they're going to be at practice and they're going to be involved a little bit with the players to some degree and there's you know if you're a pit fan you probably don't need to hear how much we're just dismissing any of this as any sort of credible content. If you're not a Pitt fan and you're thinking, you know, why are we just letting him get away with this, dude, college sports might not be for you. Like, the, right? you know, and, and baseball might not be either. Like, <laughs> This is, this is so much of nothing that I think we've already spent too much time talking about it.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: So I agree. That's it. Uh, Pitt gut violations and they're garbage and it's nothing. And we should all never talk about this again. Uh, Mike, something that we might should talk about for a couple minutes. Yes. Uh, good little tweet from Chris Vanini of the Athletic. Uh, he had a discussion with former Boston College Steve, uh, former Boston College head coach Steve Adazio, who's now the head coach at Colorado State after a somewhat questionable coaching search that seemed to really involve a lot of nepotism on the part of uh, Urban Meyer, and that's that's a whole different road we can go down one day. But yep. Steve Adazio thinks Colorado State has better facilities than Boston College. Huh, huh. That seems like a problem for Boston College. Either that, Jeff or maybe. Yeah. So this is either either a a huge problem for Boston College of like get it together, <laughs> make your facilities as good as Colorado State's, or this is just Steve Adazio trying to talk up his new place, and that's it.
0: Ah, uh, might be a little bit of both there, Joey. Might be a little bit of both.
1: Speaking of those facilities, they've got a lot of new stuff like there like the stadium. What have you made of it since you've seen it, and how does it compare to even Boston College? Adazio's response, Well, the stadium and the facilities inside are better. It's fantastic. Putting this together, the foresight is really unbelievable. I think these are Power 5 facilities, a great opportunity to recruit and to use your facilities to help train and develop your players. So it seems clearly that that's... A bit of a recruiting pitch, so we can say that to begin with. But damn, like, I, I Boston College, like, use some of this ACC network money and upgrade your facilities, please. If Pour this is it really in. Have a discussion about.
0: Pour it in. Yeah, it's it's much needed. And even if you know Steve Adazio is pontificating a little bit here. <sighs> you should still be focused on putting more money in your facilities. And this is something that Dan Rubin has been on the show to talk about multiple times with the new AD Martin Jarmond and getting him on board and having him push, 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 right. Um, To try to get some of these facilities up and running and put this, um, put this program in a better spot moving forward, because let's face it, Boston college, they've had facilities issues in the past, and that's been no secret. And it's something that they need to improve on in a hurry, regardless of who's the head coach. Jeff Halfley should be put in a position to succeed, just given his background and given the type of hire that it was. And I think we are all expecting Jeff Halfley to have some level of success at Boston College, saying, okay, well, it's not the worst hire in the world if you're going to, you know, move off of the seven and five train with Steve Adazio. Like, how much worse could it be with Jeff Halfley? Um, but With that being said, there's an inherent cap on how good this thing can be if your facilities aren't in line with your peers in in the ACC. I'm not asking BC to go out and all of a sudden have Clemson facilities. I'm asking them to have facilities similar to Duke, similar to Wake, similar Mm -hmm. to Syracuse. Whether it's better or worse is a whole different conversation. But at least be able to have facilities that compete with those schools so that you can have better record better records than those schools moving forward because they're not doing that consistently enough right now. And that's a problem at BC.
1: Be in the neighborhood. Like that, that's, that's all Yep. And, and I think really where this comes into play and and for folks that maybe have never thought about this or considered it is this, this is purely on the end of recruiting, right? Like as, as good of a recruiter as Jeff Halfley was at Ohio state and all this and, and his staff has been at other stops, whatever, Realize that at Ohio State, you are recruiting guys to absolute state-of-the-art facilities that they are designed and invested in and all this to turn really good athletes into elite NFL prospects. Right. When you bring a guy in from high school and say, you know, we're going to try to turn you into an NFL prospect. We're going to try to make you the best football player we can make you you've got to show him a weight room and a, you know, a recovery facility and training facilities and nutrition facilities and all of this that really kind of complete that picture for him. Because if you're bringing him in you're showing him his high school cafeteria and you know, the, the, the discount gym from down the street and a couple things like this, like that doesn't really jive, you know, and, and right. you got to realize that again, so this high schooler is going to come look at your facilities and, and then he's going to go look at Syracuse's facilities. He's going to go look at Penn State's facilities. He's going to look, go look at the facilities at Rutgers and Maryland and Virginia Tech and other other places in the area. You know, in the general region of you know in the Power Five. And he's comparing these things. And it's great if you have culture and you've got a relationship and all those things. But at the end of the day, like it it goes a long way to have that that material something to offer him, right? Like the indoor practice facility that you know you're not going to be cut on practice days because of weather and all these things right like this is this is what we talk about and you think about with facilities and and it's it sucks if if a school like Boston College you know in the ACC and a power five school and a, a relatively proud football tradition is being out facilitated by you know a relative upstart, G5, you know, mid-level to maybe mid-upper-level G5 school in Denver. Like, man, (laughs) that's... Not great. No, it's not. It's not. So, that's, you know, you hope to see that situation rectified here sometime soon, because that's the kind of thing. I mean, we talk about how the league has started to struggle the last couple of years. That's the kind of thing that will make a big difference in, in... overall recruiting is how much everybody is collectively putting into their facilities and and what they have to offer.
0: No. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that, you know, BC just needs to like, like we said, just be in the neighborhood. Right. Mm -hmm. And as long as they do that, they'll be in a better spot moving forward. But if you're truly getting out facilitated, for lack of a better term, uh, by teams in the mountain West, (laughs) like get it together. Mm -hmm. Seriously. Get it together. Um, and I know B.C. most years recently, it's like, well, they may as well just go play in the Mountain West with the way they play football. Mm-hmm. I get that. But come on now. Yeah. You are a power five team in the ACC. You can do better than what you're doing.
1: Yep. Yeah. Um, it's one of those things that I, I think hopefully the ACC network will start to benefit with. Um, I think the the first couple of years, as I understood it, these schools were being asked to put in a pretty big investment initially um, to build facilities, to help facilitate these HD broadcasts coming off of campus and all this. So the first year or so is expected to be a loss from a financial standpoint. But after that, it should start being a pretty big gain in revenue year over year. So put that to good use. That's I think that's the big goal here. Make sure that happens.
0: Right. Yep. Totally agree. A
1: couple quick notes here. Uh, first off, Harlan Barnett. Back
0: home. Um, going back home. Back home.
1: Yeah. Um, he's been at Florida State the last couple of years. He was hired in by Willie Taggart to come in as his defensive coordinator and defensive backs coach. Um, he is leaving. He's going back to Michigan State where he was from 2007 to 2017 as defensive backs coach and co-defensive coordinator and associate head coach and all this stuff. Um, and then also where he played in college. So uh, Harlan Barnett, a, a guy who was brought into Florida State Uh, for good reasons both from a coaching and a recruiting standpoint he's going to be gone uh that is a a fairly big hole that Mike Norvell is going to have to fill
0: yeah it is uh right off the bat right so he leaves Michigan State and again that was kind of an off cycle hire a little bit right because D'Antonio leaves on the heels of violations slash you know random retirement right Mm -hmm. so he leaves he's out the door Mel Tucker kind of spurns Colorado in the middle of the night and heads back to Michigan State and all of a sudden Harlan Barnett's going to join him a place where he played and coached previously and was a co-defensive coordinator for a number of years so Harlan Barnett it was a short stay at Florida State Um, he actually was not too too terrible they at least Florida State you know they were at least able to stop the run pretty efficiently uh, throughout his tenure there with the Seminoles the passing defense was a little suspect at times but Yeah, Florida State loses a guy in Barnett that I think would have been a valuable member of the coaching staff and somebody that Mike Norvell needs to, you know, try to figure out how to fill that hole because it's going to be very difficult, you know, moving forward without Barnett. um, And then having him leave when he did in the middle of the cycle is not great either.
1: It's going to be filled by Marcus Woodson, who was uh, he's a defensive backs coach and now defensive passing game coordinator for uh, Mike Norvell, was formerly. Holding that role for him at Memphis back in 2016, 2017 uh, as the defensive backs coach, and then he was Auburn's defensive backs coach uh, the last couple of years, and the recruiting coordinator last year. So, a guy who clearly brings a lot to the table again from both a coaching standpoint and a recruiting standpoint. So, you know, this this is one of the things we talked about is that uh, Mike Norvell at Memphis one I think one of the extra attractive things about hiring him is that he had a track record for a lot of his assistants getting hired away, which that sounds like it's a thing where, you know, maybe guys don't want to work from or whatever. No, no. They were getting hired away from Memphis to go coach at P five schools because they were doing a really good job, you know, again, both from a coaching and a recruiting standpoint, and now having a P five level budget at Florida State, he's being able to hire them back from the programs that they left for. So yep. Um, I think this is one of multiple examples that you've seen. I think their offensive coordinator, Kenny Dillingham, he also hired back from Auburn, um, who was poaching a couple of his guys there a couple of years ago. So um, assuming that these things will translate to the P5 level, which I don't have a lot of good reason to think that they won't, um, I I think he's in a pretty good spot here.
0: Yeah, no, I think so too. I I think this is a nice move for him um, moving forward. And for Mike Norvell to just kind of have a plug-and-play there with a familiarity hire, I think is good as well.
1: Yep. Absolutely. Uh, Mike, going back to Pittsburgh for a second, uh, Pat Narduzzi, who's been in the news for all sorts of great reasons re- recently, uh, as we have recently talked about. Oh, yeah. Uh, Pat Narduzzi, he was asked about what he thought about the transfer portal and uh, you know the role that it is increasingly taking here over time. And we got this level of uh, analysis from him. He really says that they should really call it the, quote, ugly toilet portal.
0: Where'd you get that? The toilet store?
1: That yeah, that does really feel like some creative, uh, creative rip off from uh, Pat Narduzzi. Like he was yeah. watching Anchorman the night before or something like that.
0: Right. So he's not a portal fan.
1: Clearly not. Which yes. I, you know, as I sit here and think about it, does that really shock us to find out that old school defensive coordinator Pat Narduzzi is not a fan of the newfangled transfer portal and all of its, you know, glory?
0: Joseph, he's hard-nosed, buddy.
1: Yeah, that's true. For better or worse.
0: The answer is no, I'm not surprised.
1: <sighs> so, but there's one other thing I want to add to this. So we, we can sit here and mock how ridiculous the uh, ugly toilet portal comment is, but let's take it a step deeper here real quick. Do you think, you know, so... Uh, Do you think that the referring, you know, or regardless of what he says about it, you know, overall denigrating the transfer portal is a good thing to do to endear yourself to recruits? Nope. No. Because the portal is the kind of thing that kind of gives a little bit of power to student athletes where traditionally they've had effectively none and to sit there and, and, and talk crap about it and act like this is a scourge on our game and our system seems like the kind of thing that uh, is, is not going to go well on the recruiting trail.
0: That is correct. That is correct. And this is not a perfect system. It never has been. And it never will be as long as I know it, I think, to be honest with you. I, I don't think it'll be a – I don't think this whole student-athlete – NCAA mega corporation deal will ever be perfect. But that being said, you know, I, I think the players want flexibility. I think they're getting that with the transfer portal. Is it perfect? No, it's not. Is it perfect for the schools? No, it's not. Um, but it does give the players freedom and it puts players in a situation where they can kind of control where they want to play and where they want to go. And just like any other kid who's transferring from a school for academics, you know they could potentially play right away in the ACC, right? And we talked about that on the last podcast. The ACC is supporting the, you know, one-time transfer, which has yet to go into effect, but the one-time transfer for student athletes to be immediately eligible—that's a step in the right direction for the players. And Pat Narduzzi comes out against that a little bit here, pushing back, saying, "Hey, look, you know, all these players, you know, should be able to." Move on if they want to, but this is essentially college football free agency. And he's kind of pushing back against that, saying it's the ugly toilet portal. It doesn't help coaches or it doesn't help coaches and teams um, when, when they're trying to build their programs. I get that from his standpoint, but at the same time, I think the players need that kind of freedom. So mm-hmm. this is this kind of is what it is. And Narduzzi doesn't like it, Sabin doesn't love it either. I mean, Dabo doesn't love it I mean there are a lot of coaches out there who don't love it because it really projects unpredictability in roster building right because all of a sudden you have players who can leave at any time you know people say okay there's college free agency there's NFL free agency well the difference is that college players can leave at any time NFL free agents leave when their contracts up and as long as you're not paying the players you know college players look they they want their freedom too and this is just one of those things that's going to continue to evolve. So Pat Narduzzi, Pat Narduzzi doesn't like it. A lot of other coaches don't like it. But that's just kind of the way it's going to be.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it removes a level of control and a level of predictability from their role. But at the same time, you got to realize that if you – let's say you have that control or, or you're, you're trying to fight against losing that control, you're benefiting yourself a lot more by being in support of student-athletes right. Right? and showing them – Hey, I'm on your side. Like, I'm here hoping the best for you. I want to try to, you know, do the best thing for you and help you succeed. Right. So I, I, I understand if that's his internal monologue is, you know, trancher portal, more like ugly toilet portal. Ha ha ha. Like, I hate this. Please, you know, get rid of this and never have it. But like, we we've we discussed a little bit in the last episode. There there is a lot of intricacies to this, and and I don't want to get back into it again, especially as we're like almost an hour into this podcast. But we'll we'll talk about it more at a later date. But at the end of the day, giving the athletes a little bit more autonomy, and certainly like you mentioned, the the one time free transfer thing that's being uh, tossed around and proposed in a lot of ways. I, dude, you are you are hurting yourself a lot more than you're helping yourself by coming out against it.
0: Yep. And even if you disagree, you're allowed to disagree. Right. And you're allowed to talk about if you want to, it just comes with a risk. Yeah. Right. It comes with a risk. So,
1: And, and again, if you internally disagree with it, I don't know, go to your team PR person and work on a PR response. That is something to the effect of, you know, you don't have to be fully honest and open about what you think of it. Like, you got to realize that your thoughts don't necessarily benefit your cause in a lot of these cases. So that's all.
0: Yep. Just don't be as off the cuff with it. If you know the kind of negative reaction it'll create.
1: Absolutely. All right. Last thing, Mike, and uh, this is something, again, we're a little bit late into this podcast, but wanted to hit on this. This came up later, er, earlier this afternoon, um, as we were kind of preparing to record here, uh, our good friend Cam over at uh, State of the U, and he, you know, is our, our Miami contributor, and he's been on numerous times. You know him, you love him. All this. Um, there was a, a little bit of a Twitter thread that was going on where uh, somebody was challenging the idea that Miami is an attractive destination for, we'll call it blue chip football recruits. I think there, there's a discussion to be had about, you know, is it, is it attractive for, you know top 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 notch football recruits versus generally really good football recruits you know but you know what is the um, what is the sales pitch if you're a Miami coach if you're a recruiting coordinator and such and you're trying to get guys to come to Miami as opposed to going to other options that they have either in the state of Florida or in in the region or just across the country right right and and I think we'll start here Mike in saying that Any assertion that Miami is an explicitly unattractive option for recruits is is pretty absurd, not only just objectively looking at the school and what it is and where it is and and all these things, but also just the results that they've gotten on the recruiting trail at least since Mark Richt got there.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, Look, recruiting at Miami has never been a real, real serious issue right Mm -hmm. truthfully it hasn't been um it's been the production and development of the players which i think we tend to overlook in recruiting like it's really important to have really great players on your roster that you recruit and then developing them um the good players into great players and the great players into elite elite players if you want to build your program it's all about player development at the end of the day and the type of recruit that you get does matter a lot it does um now what comes after that is what's most important, but it helps to have talented guys already coming in the door uh, before you get all of your staff on them to coach them up and, and to kind of get the most out of them. And it's really interesting because, you know, Cam was going through and and Joey, I'm just going to kind of read off the listing here. Cam was going through in a, in a tweet to some of his followers when they were asking, okay, what's the appeal of Miami? Right. And a lot of these I think are great points and, and, Draws if you're looking at Miami as as a school to go to as a top recruit. The academics, right? Miami's a, a very good school, mm-hmm. uh, despite what people say about it. it's football players, etc. Miami inherently is a very good school. Yeah. Um, the campus itself, beautiful campus. I've never been there, but by all indications, one of the nicer campuses. Constantly, consistently ranked U.S. News and World Report one of the top campuses in the country. Um, The weather has a lot to do with that. Right. So that ties in basically on
1: the beach, South Florida, all that like there is nothing to complain about.
0: Right. Exactly. So the environment there is really good from that standpoint. The proud tradition. Right. Miami obviously being a powerhouse in the early 2000s, being one of the top college football programs in the country. Um, NFL preparation, uh, especially at defensive back and tight end. They've had a lot of DBs and a lot of tight ends specifically go to the pros and have success. And they've had a lot of skill position guys as well um, move on to the pros and and turn out to be good players. A game against FSU annually, which when FSU is good, it's not only an in-state rivalry that gets juice in Florida it is a national game that gets a lot of hype. Right. And the Miami and Florida State games of old, when both teams were ranked inside the top 10, the top five, top 15, what have you, obviously generates a lot of hype because of all the skill and the talent on the field. And with both teams playing for something important in conference or outside the conference, just playing for uh, viability on a national level, it's always a very important game when both teams are playing well. A potential chance to play in the ACC championship game, and I think what Cam is getting at here with this point is that you're in the weaker of the two divisions, right? Mm -hmm. He didn't mention that, but I think that's what he's getting at, and that's the truth, right? You're not playing Clemson every year, and while you're playing Florida State in a crossover and it's a tough game because it's in-state, yada, 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 you're not in the tougher of the two divisions in the ACC. I think that's important. Um, lifelong connection with the Canes Alumni Foundation, which I can't speak to um, as, you know, not being an alum, that's something I'd, I'd rather have Cam talk to.
1: I'll, and then play, I'll, I'll playing I'll throw talent. in there real quick, it, you know, I, I don't know what the Canes Alumni Foundation means in particular, but from a, at least a football standpoint, it does seem like there is a lot of, of benefit or at least a lot of clout to being connected to guys like Ed Reed and Ray Lewis and right. Edron James. And, you know, take your pick of Miami football legends of, of yesteryear, right? Like yep. there's a lot of, of a lot to be gained from that.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And, um, they seem involved, like coming back right now. Ed Reed is obviously involved with Miami. We talked about that on earlier podcasts, how he's coming back to a program as like an ambassador, a special advisor to the program, et cetera. Chief of um, staff. Chief of Staff, I think, was his actual title. Which don't means. know, don't know what that means. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure that ties into this a little bit. I'm I'm not sure entirely um, what what the draw is with the Kansas Alumni Foundation uh, specifically. So I'd have Camp speak to that. But to your point, uh, the players are certainly very involved with the program once they move on. Very invested in the program once they move on, and that's clear when you watch Miami play on TV. There are constantly old stars on the sideline no matter how good or bad Miami is rooting the canes on and that that's important
1: Mm -hmm. yeah I I mean a lot of these things again there is a lot of draw and there is a lot of reason I think that people are, are, are always looking to go play here right like it there's nobody sitting here saying how is it that Miami is pulling off these great recruiting classes year after year like that doesn't shock anybody, right? Like that's right. that's predictable in a lot of ways. Um, a couple of things I'll dispute a little bit. Um, academics, you're correct. Great school. A lot of things that they do really well. Whether the football players are doing it or not, different discussion. But <laughs> yes, yes, nobody cares. <laughs> you're um, right, correct. Great campus, sure. Like you said, never been there, but you you're what like five or six blocks from the Atlantic Ocean. I mean, you're basically at the beach, like. You could do a lot worse, not only in the ACC but in the Power Five at large. Um, weather, yeah, great. Um, it's that'll come into play here in a little bit on something I'll, I'll get into in a minute. But um, tradition, I would I would argue tradition a little bit in saying that we we say the tradition is oh well you know you had the whole early '80s Miami's teams you know under Jimmy Johnson and all that that were some of the better teams in college football history you had. Uh, some of the like late 90s, early 2000s run where uh, they won the what the 2001 national title, I think and played for the O2 national title and basically that one got robbed by Ohio State. The problem with that is Mike, that I think it was just a couple years after that that you know most recent national title appearance was really kind of the last time that Miami was able to string together multiple years of like serious national relevancy
0: right. I agree.
1: And that was also around the time that the current recruits were being born. Correct. So certainly since any of them have been aware of football and college football in general, like Miami has not had any tradition to speak of in, in almost two decades now. So, I mean, that, that is, I think, you know, we can call that into question a little bit, you know, versus a lot of the programs in the region that are going to be recruiting against them i.e. Florida, who's won multiple national titles in that time frame, uh, Florida State, who's won a national title in that time frame, Clemson, multiple national titles, Alabama, multiple national titles, Georgia, yep, national title appearance, they didn't win, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera, right, so it's, it's relevant, um, Yep.
0: And Miami fans, I just want to jump in real quick. Miami fans will hate to hear this. Right. But a lot of them will be like, oh, well, Notre Dame had a really proud tradition. They haven't won a championship since 88. Yeah, but they have played for one. They, <laughs> like, they played channel. for one. And- yes, they have their own TV channel. They've played for a national championship since then. Um, they haven't won one since Miami's won one, but they have played for a national championship um, back in 2012 they've been in the playoffs since then they've worn they've been much more nationally relevant than Miami in the last 15 years and it's mm-hmm. not even close so that's going to sit poorly with a lot of Miami fans but that's what you're being compared to right now.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, NFL preparation sure Cam lists uh, defensive back and tight end I don't know how much Miami is preparing people for the NFL at those positions versus they're just recruiting guys who are very talented. Make, yeah. Like, how much did you really have to train David Njoku to make him an NFL tight end? Like, maybe he's just a big, bad, strong, athletic dude who it's really hard to cover, and so now he's a third-round pick at tight end. Like, I don't know how much you had to teach him to, to do that. But anyways, um, a game against FSU annually. You're correct. That is, that is like a college game day level game every year. Um, that is almost as heated a rivalry as you're going to find anywhere in college yep. football on a year-in, year-out basis. It is a perennial, like, 8 o'clock ABC game, right, like the Saturday that is happening. My only contention against that would be, why is it that we're calling out one game every year that is a really attractive recruiting point? <laughs> as compared to Florida, as compared to, again, Alabama, or, you know, whoever else is recruiting, like, Shouldn't we have more than one game that's just, you know, the, the thing you really got to be a part of? Right. So throwing that out there. Yep. Uh, we mentioned the Canes Alumni Foundation uh, playing time, yeah. And, and even if, you know, we could take that multiple ways, I think. There is the whole, like, well, maybe there's areas where Miami isn't that good right now and, and freshmen could come in and play immediately. Sure, there's that. But I would also contend, to some level, like, Miami traditionally has not been afraid to play true freshman at most any position on either side of the ball. Right. If you're good enough, you can play and, and, and they'll let you. There is no like pearl clutching. There's no old school, you know, like seniors play first kind of mentality there. It is if you got talent, if you can play, you're playing. So yep. I, I think that's kind of held true through multiple coaching staffs. And then coaching. Yeah. That's, that's been a discussion. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of my, one of my favorite I think ways to simplify college football that I ever heard was Bill Conley talking about how college football and your success as a program is really about three things. It is talent acquisition, talent development, and talent deployment. It is recruiting development and scheme, uh, really in, in so many words. And, Talent acquisition seems like it has been the least of Miami's worries through the years, um, and
0: will continue to be that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I would assume.
1: Yeah. Oh, completely. A lot of a lot of things working for Miami here. Um, I have one more thing I was going to bring up that I, I thought was, I, there's there's a couple things that probably work kind of in their favor and kind of against it, um, like things like playing in an NFL stadium. There are some high school recruits that see that as really exciting. Like, we play in the same stadium the Dolphins play in. You know, I can go see the Dolphins play the Patriots, and I can go see the Dolphins play XYZ NFL teams all the time, and that's the field I'll play on if I play at Miami. Right. Now, the downside of that is that's, a what, a 75,000-seat stadium that you're going to have maybe 20,000 fans at for most games. Correct. So you're going to be playing at an empty NFL stadium. So there's that. That um, can kind of go both ways. Um. You know, I, it's. I think that there's 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 a lot of selling points for Miami. There's a lot of positives, and it's it, it's certainly helpful too that you like right in your backyard is one of the probably five or six biggest like single city hotbeds of talent uh, across the country in recruiting. Year and year
0: location, location, location.
1: That is correct. Um, you don't have to go that far. <laughs> you don't even have to go all the way up to the Panhandle to get probably half of a top 10 recruiting class. Right. Um, so there's that. Um, but I, I think there's, there's, just to sum it up, I mean, I think there's, there's a lot to be considered attractive about Miami from a recruiting standpoint. I don't think that's a coincidence with what the, re- the results have been in recent years and going back historically for, I don't know, like most of my lifetime. But at the same time, it's... For example? I mean... I, I, what? I don't know how to answer that.
0: No, I just said for example. Yeah, yeah exactly. Your lifetime.
1: Um, but at the same time, I, I don't think that Miami is, like, the number one obvious destination for any five-star recruit in the country. No. No. One of the things we've talked about, and I, I'm not educated enough to speak on this in a lot of detail, but I know that there has been some discussion really kind of in the time since we've been doing this podcast, Mike, that Miami's facilities, not not top of the line. Um, nope. Maybe not Boston College slash Colorado State levels of facilities, but like you're talking about a, a Power 5 team with all sorts of money and things going for it that is trying to practice in South Florida for three or four days a week. And they don't have an indoor practice facility. They've developed one, I think, in the last couple of years. But how many practices did they lose over the years because it was too rainy, too stormy, all these things? And in retrospect, that is ridiculous to think about.
0: Yep. I mean the the facilities thing's huge. We'll dive into it on a on a later podcast for sure, um, as we continue to kind of dive through uh, <laughs> dive through show topics here in the offseason. But yeah, it's a major major issue for a lot of these ACC schools even for schools like Miami who you would expect would have top-notch facilities just not necessarily the case
1: yep um so that's that's all I got there I mean it's it's clearly attractive but also understand that it's not it's not some silver bullet in recruiting it's not gonna fully recruit itself so right right you know it's it's multi-dimensional Mike we'll say multi-dimensional
0: as most things in college football are. <laughs>
1: that, that's a good point. That's a good point. Mike, that's all I got on Miami recruiting.
0: That was a good run well, this evening. Run.
1: That's, that, that's all I got on ACC news and notes for now.
0: Pretty good.
1: Yeah. I think so. Uh, been a good little recap. We, we've been trying to record this episode for like a week and a half now, um, and we finally got it in. So that's, that's, a, uh, that's a good feeling that is absolutely that is
0: spring football coming up here
1: that's right yeah spring football uh, already underway in certain places yeah that's true uh, mark Richt was at georgia tech today wearing a georgia tech uh half you know quarter zip thing hell? and yeah i i really was kind of speechless at what what to say about that i don't know if i should <laughs> make jokes or like boo and hiss or you know go uh you know throw up and try to see if that makes me feel better i don't know it it was weird
0: we live in a college football world where nick saban is coached on both sides of one of the biggest rivalries in college football so
1: everything is a meme everything's a
0: meme yes everything's a meme and everything makes sense and nothing makes sense at the exact same time
1: that's that is completely correct so i've i've got nothing at that that's that's all yeah all right mike that's it that's all i got anything else think we're good man we should probably get out of here and uh save the people some time here after we've gone like an hour and five minutes
0: yeah it's a pretty good run
1: it's it's pretty good for uh yeah what is it like march this is march mike
0: this is march sean rothstein told me
1: (laughs) this is march um so let's get out of here and go watch the NCAA tournament and we will maybe come back sometime in between there yeah
0: yeah i think so i think we will we got a lot to talk about here
1: hell yeah there's the ACC is nothing if not a, a news generating machine, so there will be something scratching and clawing. Absolutely. All right, we're gonna get out of here. We're gonna come back at some point in the near future, and uh, you know, until then, you can find us on Twitter. I am at ftrsjoey. He is at mike mcdaniel si got it right, and we're at bc podcast acc. Uh, y'all can send us an email with your questions, comments, concerns to so the longest email address known to man. Basketball Conference Podcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. You can find us on iTunes, on Google Podcasts, on Spotify, Stitcher, Breaker, the Overcast app, and most importantly on Anchor. Uh, we ask that you do, and we appreciate those who have. And Mike, uh, you want to tell them where they can find us on the social medias?
0: Facebook. Facebook.com slash Conference rate review. Find all your podcasts there, Joey.
1: Please do. Please do. Appreciate those who have. Um, Mike, I, I feel like I'm forgetting something, but I think that might be all. I think that's it. Okay. Yeah. I've kind of been out of the saddle here for a little bit. So just making sure. I think you covered it. Okay. Yeah. I, well, we covered it, Mike. We covered it. Teamwork.
0: Yeah. Well, yes. Yes. Just the, um, I, I'm talking about the outro here. I think you covered <laughs> the outro well. <laughs> what I meant. And we covered the podcast well.
1: All right. Well, this has been messy. So uh, let's just get the hell out of here and we'll try again next time. Correct. You want to come back next time and talk about more news and notes as we uh, work through the offseason? Yeah. We'll try
0: not to take as long
1: uh go next by the way Rough next in, yes. in position
0: go next. to the neck baby <laughs> to the neck
1: we'll see if cam phillips keeps up his mvp campaign we'll see
0: somebody's gotta do it
1: all right uh mike this has been fun we'll talk again soon
0: the lights have gone out behind joey so yeah this podcast have. this po- lights are out the yeah. podcast is over
1: as a famous man once said you don't have to go home but you can't stay here
0: oh yes closing time baby <laughs>
1: Might have to uh, get a special intro outro song for this podcast. For that. Yes.
0: Yes. That's what I like to hear.
1: That's what I'm talking about. All right. Well, until the next time, for that guy, Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you again soon. And until next time, go ACC. <laughs>